Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio and our sponsors, the College Futures Foundation and the Kresge Foundation. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Since late summer, EdSource reporters and editors have been reporting on the lives of students and their families throughout California. We'll be devoting the entire episode this week to these ongoing projects. We published the latest installments this week. Our reporting shows how the COVID-19 pandemic has upended the lives of students and their families throughout California. One project called Education During COVID, California Families Struggle to Learn, concentrates on K-12 students. We've been following 16 families throughout the state through frank and personal accounts and compelling video documentaries. The other project reveals the challenges and in some cases delayed dreams of students who are or who had planned to be in their freshman year of college this fall. That project's called College and COVID, Freshman Year Disrupted. It's really been an extraordinary effort to take readers behind the headlines to give a ground-level view of Californian struggles as best we could, given the limitations imposed by the pandemic. We're pleased to have with us the editor of the series, Rose Sioda, as well as two reporters who have worked on this project, Betty Marquez-Rosales and Larry Gordon. Welcome, Rose, Betty, and Larry. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be part of this. Thanks for having us. Rose, let me start with you. As John mentioned, we're tracking these 16 families from way up north in Yurok Tribe Reservation area near the California-Oregon border all the way down to uh, San Diego near the Mexican border. What was the thinking behind launching this project? The staff has been working frantically to cover the news of the pandemic, and it has really been relentless, and stories would change very quickly. But we knew that there was a lot more happening among families, among students, and we wanted to try to capture that, how the people were being affected, not, you know, on one day or on one week, but month after month, which, as unfortunately, this has been a real grind for everyone. What are some of the things that have really struck you about these profiles of these families? Well, one of the really amazing things to me is that we deliberately invited families to participate from many different regions, different professions, different economic levels, different ethnic racial groups, just so we can get a real mix of experience. And what really has struck me is how, in some cases, their experiences have been pretty much the same. The The sense of the frustration with the technology in the beginning and the lamenting of not being with teachers and learning in the way that they are familiar with. And then that worked into loneliness and depression and families needing to get counseling to help themselves through. And now we're seeing in our last installment of the semester, a sort of resilience and hope as they look forward and look for ways to keep their children engaged and to keep the children on track. You followed some families that have really struggled and particularly in the Central Valley. Tell us what you found, Rose. We've seen that families have had to make really tough decisions, like in at least two or three cases, the moms gave up jobs to stay home 
to help their children through the online learning because otherwise it just wouldn't be happening. In other cases, that just wasn't an option. So one of the families in the Central Valley, mom works in the field six days a week and her three children are at home with a family member and she knew that they were not doing their classwork the way they needed to be. And in this last installment, you know, she was happy to, since, of course, the weather is changing and her work time is slowing down, that she's able to take some time off and, you know, she'll really be able to supervise them a lot more. And that gave her great joy to to be able to do that. But it has definitely been a struggle for them. And many families just had to do all kinds of things, you know, including rely on other family members to be there for their children. We don't know how this is going to end up. We really don't. We're going to stick with them through the end of the school year. And we hope that in the end, we can write something that is glorious and joyful. But as we all know, there's a lot of challenges that face us. And so even when the children all get back in the classroom, there are still going to be issues about catching them up. John, you yourself have tracked a couple of families. Anything that really has surprised you or impressed you? In the case of my Los Angeles Unified family, where they just, it's one thing to say, here's a computer and here's the internet. It's another thing to connect and learn how to use a system. And when you have technical problems, it's easy to get lost in the system. In this case, the student missed the first five, six weeks of school. And the student was chronically absent. By law, the district should have reached out to him, sixth grader, and it didn't. It was only until the father took time off from work after trying a number of times to reach the school that he showed up at school unannounced and then began to get his problems solved. In the case of my San Jose family, it's a, a middle-class family, if Vietnamese immigrants, in terms of their situation, better off than most of the families we've covered. And yet, Those children had their struggles too because different personalities adjust to distance learning differently. And when you're a student as a one seventh grader is who was a cut up, who loved to be a social person, be around at school, and all of a sudden you're in a new school and distance learning, you can't make that connection. You can't quite concentrate the way it was in school when a teacher was there. It was been a jarring experience for that, but the other three kids in the family are doing relatively well. Okay, well, that's a good segue to Betty Marquez-Rosales who has been looking at the challenges when students go from high school to college and then staying in college. Betty, I gather that there is a real problem now, that we are seeing a drop-off of students who would normally have gone to college right out of high school who are not doing that to the same extent. Is that what's happening? The numbers are in sharp contrast to what they were last year. So we have some preliminary data from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center that has shown that this fall there has been a 30% drop in enrollments at community colleges. That's just one of the data points. That's nationally or in California? That's a national data point. And that's in sharp contrast to last year's decline, which was less than 1%. So Betty, you profiled three students whose stories illustrate the types of pressures and choices and even the sacrifices that the pandemic has forced on them. Uh, Tell us about Maria. She has quite a compelling story. So Maria, she lives in Marin County up in the Bay Area. We're not using her last name because she's undocumented. And during the spring, she was accepted into UC Davis. And 
she ultimately decided to defer because her family was faced with a lot of financial pressures. And so her parents had reduced work hours as soon as the pandemic began. And she had a summer internship. And that money was supposed to be saved up for her to use when she began college. But she ended up using that to help her parents pay for the bills, to help them pay for the rent. When they couldn't make rent, she helped negotiate with their landlord for an extended period for them to be able to pay that. And so she ultimately decided to defer for two quarters because she knew that her parents might be okay during the summer and into the fall, but they would have to start working overtime in order to make ends meet if she left to college. So she made the decision to stay. And we have a clip from your interview with Maria explaining what she told her parents about why she wasn't going to college. I explained to them like, hey, I am gonna go to school. I am gonna continue my education because this is something very important, but also not right now, just because I want to make sure that you guys are okay and don't like overwork yourselves. I want to make sure that I'm not stressed out as well thinking like, hey, are my parents safe right now where I'm like off in college? I was like, I don't want to feel guilty if my parents end up like getting sick and I'm not there. So tell us about Jesus. He also made a big switch in his plans. What happened? Jesus Garibay, he lives in the city of Maywood. That's a neighborhood in Los Angeles County. And he was ready to go to Cal State Northridge. He was accepted into the civil engineering program. It's his dream school. And he suddenly was faced with having to take on full-time hours at Wingstop, a job that he had throughout his senior year of high school. He eventually started working overtime because he was the only one with a stable income in his household after the pandemic hit. And so when faced with having to make up one class in order to enroll at Cal State Northridge, he decided to keep on working overtime hours rather than make up that class because his family needed his income. And so now he completely changed up his plans and he's going to a local community college in Long Beach and he's going to become an electrician. Now, the third student you've been following is Edward. His story is a bit different. He's still in college, but it's still been pretty hard. Tell us a little bit about him. Edward and Cecil, he grew up in Mid-City, a neighborhood in Los Angeles, and he started working during the spring after the pandemic hit because his parents really had their hours reduced. Uh, his dad works as a gardener, his mom works clean offices and homes. And so he took on work and he's continued with his college path. So he started school this fall at UC Riverside. He's studying business and film production. But in the past three weeks, a lot has changed for him. His family got COVID-19. His father ended up in the hospital and he had a stroke and he's now paralyzed. And as a gardener, that means losing a huge source of income for the family. And so Edward is faced with helping his family make that up somehow while going to school full time while still working. Now he's faced with a lot more financial difficulty than, than he thought was possible. Well, let's hear from Edward about how he resolved to continue college while still working. I feel like my parents like hustled for 18 years to make sure I never had to like worry about food and stuff like that. So even before COVID, I always felt like a responsibility of like paying them back through my education and then eventually being in a position where I can take care of them. So that's something I've always had in mind. Uh, but especially now with, with COVID, 
it's it's like a priority. Like I, I have to get myself through college and it's a hustle, but I'm like, I'm down for it. What are the solutions? Anybody talk about this? How do we deal with this situation? That's a difficult question to answer because everybody's situations are so different, even though these students are dealing with the really difficult year. Anybody who graduated from high school this year, it's, it's tough. But one of the solutions here is providing additional support for these freshmen going into college. An organization up in the, in the Bay Area, they're called Next Generation Scholars. They're behind a group of, of recent high school graduates who were faced with similar decisions, who had families that were struggling financially. But for the most part, they've all been able to enroll. And that's because this nonprofit, Next Generation Scholars, has been able to do some emergency fundraising that helps these families with money for, for food, with money for gas, with these basic necessities so that these families don't have to rely on the students and their families to help out financially and so that the students are able to enroll in college. I want to now go to Larry Gordon, who has been writing about students who've actually gotten into college and making it through their freshman year. Larry, what are you finding on that front? Well, you know, freshman year, even in good times and non-pandemic times, is a risky proposition for a lot of students. It's the time when students are most likely to drop out. And even in good times at the CSU, the uh, dropout rate is about 15%. 15% of the freshmen never make it the sophomore year. Some campuses, almost 25%. So interesting, the, the number of students who were freshmen last year and made it to sophomores actually improved a little bit. I think some of those students may have you know, been able to lock into his sense of identity at the school, so they already were there from September to March. And this is CSU that we're talking about. This is CSU, the 23 campus of the California State University system. And the students who were freshmen last year seemed to do okay at a majority of campuses. But campuses are quite worried about the students who began as freshmen this year. And it sounds really, really odd to think about that a lot of these students are part of a university they have never visited. I interviewed numerous students who'd never set foot on the campus that they're affiliated with, or maybe they've stopped by once to buy a t-shirt or pick up an art book. And uh, it's kind of a stunning thing that they have very little connection, so physical connection. So the campuses really want to try to provide some sense of personal connection, engagement, make students feel like they're part of the bigger whole, even beyond you know their own individual academic success or failure. They're also trying to keep in touch through counselors and sort of unique, very different ways of approaching it, Larry. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, this was actually kind of a good coincidence. A number of CSU campuses last year began new counseling programs that focused just on freshmen. Instead of having freshmen in a mix with upperclassmen and being shared, having counselors share different types of levels of students. So this thing seemed to work pretty well during the pandemic so far, that these big groups of counselors on certain campuses concentrate only on freshmen. And, you know, the freshmen don't have the signs say, come to the student center or walking past billboards, tell them what to do. So they really have to rely totally on these Zoom appointments. And they are having some trouble making appointments with students. Some students are, are late in showing up for their appointments for counseling. It, it generally seems to work. Larry, this is hugely important, right? I mean, isn't there research that shows that the first year, the freshman year is really crucial? 
that if you have a very solid experience, then you're more likely to complete. Yes, that's completely true. Not only is it just getting through freshman year, but there's been more recent research by the Public Policy Institute that shows that if you take a full load of classes, you're actually more likely to continue and to graduate on time. It's like the more engaged a student is, you know, the more likely they are to keep going on. And this all kind of dovetails with the bigger project. The California State University system for the past four years has been working what they call their graduation initiative. They've had some really bad graduation four-year completion rates in the past, and they're under the gun to drastically improve those rates by uh, 2025. So this pandemic could obviously put some hiccups in that plan. It's December now. First quarter is over for most of the UCs. CSUs are mostly on the semester system. Any early signs of the extent to which students have dropped out already? I don't have any statistics on how many have dropped out this year, but there are students who are going to be falling away. I talked to one student who he hated online education. He was a student at Cal State Dominguez Hills, and his father lost his job, and the family had to move away to be with uh, relatives with free housing in Idaho, and he wound up following his family and quitting. Let me ask Betty Marquez, any signs, any indication of whether we're seeing students dropping out? At the California State University system, we know that it's about 16% for Latino college freshmen. We know that it's about 11% for the same group of students at the University of California system. And so we don't have data yet on what it's looking like this year, but considering the numbers from previous years and considering the enrollment drop from this year because of the pandemic, we can expect to see a higher drop this year, potentially. So, Rose, where are you now in terms of your goals for the projects, both projects, for the rest of the year? What do you plan to present? We will be continuing to follow the families through the end of the academic year. And we plan to dip back in and see particularly how the students that Betty spoke with, what they do and if they in fact enroll and how their spring semester goes. So this is a very important topic and we're not just going to drop it. We're going to see it through and see what those dropout numbers are really like next spring. Well, I just wanted to thank Rose Ciota, our post-secondary education editor, Betty Marquez Rosales, and Larry Gordon, who have been reporting on this hugely important issue. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. You can go to our website for the new features on the Family Project and the College Freshman Project and two new videos where you can meet Maria, Jesus, and Edward. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Thanks, Kobe. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and its source's own Justin Allen. If you appreciate this podcast and our work in general, please consider contributing to our annual Newsmatch campaign. Very easy to do. Just go to our website at edsource.org. Look for the red heart on the top right-hand corner of our website, and you will go to our donation page. We'd really appreciate your contribution. We look forward to being back next week for our last podcast of this extraordinarily difficult year for education. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you.